so that uh, you can hear me there at home. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, nice wet uh, Sunday to uh, end up our run through the year right before we get up to Christmas. So we have officially arrived at the, uh, at the last service of the year before Christmas. And so you know what that means? It means this is the last service for the felt boards. Yep, yep, yep. So this is it. This is it. And uh, here we go. Can you guess what we're going to talk about today on this last uh, Sunday before Christmas? Jesus! Yes! Yes. So here we go. We're going to start out uh, talking about today's story. So uh, if you remember this guy from last week, that's Joseph, right? Remember him? And uh, he was engaged to be married to? Yeah, see... Yeah, and so they were engaged, and uh, she came. She says, uh, uh, Joseph, we have to have a difficult conversation. He says, oh, yeah? What, what's going on? She says, well, uh, I'm, I'm pregnant, which was a shock to him um, because they had done nothing amongst themselves uh, for her to end up pregnant up to that point. Uh, and so uh, she told him this. He didn't know what to think at first. Uh, what's going on? Then she tried to explain to him like, no, 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 I haven't cheated on you. It's nothing like this. I haven't brought shame on us. This is of God, this event. Now that's a little bit of a bitter pill or a unbelievable pill for somebody to swallow. So they go away. Joseph is contemplating, what is it shall I do? And so he was contemplating his options and he would have been uh, in his rights at the time in that society to do quite a few different things, bring quite a bit of shame uh, unto, on Mary, um, but he had decided that he wasn't going to do that. Uh, he was going to just quietly uh, go to the religious leaders, let them know, I am canceling this, uh, this marriage arrangement, this contract I have with the family, and uh, we're just going to keep it quiet between us. Nobody needs to know. We don't, we don't need to sell. We don't need to make this a public thing. So he's doing that, goes to sleep. I don't have a sleeping Joseph. How's this? Goes to sleep, <laughs> passed out from too much eggnog, Joseph. Uh, what? Um, angel shows up, says, hey, Joseph, we got to talk, right? He weighs himself, gets a, little, gets a little awake, is afraid. Every angel starts with don't fear because everybody is afraid when they see angels. The angel tells him, you're not going to go through your, with your plan to divorce. That's not how that's going to happen. Uh, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to move on. And you're going to marry her, and this child is going to be born. He says, you're going to name the child Emmanuel, which means God with us, who will be the Savior of the world. And so, as we start into this last week of Christmas, I I want to start right away uh, into our scripture. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. This is how. In case you were wondering, Andy, Andy, how did the birth of Jesus come about? (laughs) This is how. We're going to tell you right now, right? Matthew lets us know up front uh, as a Jewish man that that he believes that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. It had been prophesied for thousands of years. Most of the Jewish people had given up hope They hadn't heard from God. A prophet hadn't brought a word from God in 500 years. And so Matthew's letting us know with the writing, like right away, I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus was a long-awaited Messiah. Now, two things to talk about 
as we get this rolling, this story today. Um, one, the Greek word Messiah, there, that is actually a Hebrew word. And the Greek equivalent of that word is Christ. Um, and, and that wasn't Jesus's last name. Jesus wasn't Mr. Christ. Uh, that's not how that worked. It was a title. It was a title that was bestowed upon him. Uh, it was the Greek term for the Hebrew term that meant the one that the Jewish people had been waiting on for so long, right? Now, while we're on names and talking about how that works, and I'm saying this because as we get through the passage, some of the wording, um, these, these understandings of this are gonna make it make a lot more sense. Um, but another name in the sentence, uh, the birth of Jesus there, uh, that name, uh, Jesus is actually a Latin translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua, right? You, you, may, you may have met people who don't say Jesus, when referring to Jesus, they call him Yeshua. You might get in your mind and be like, um, you're saying that wrong. How embarrassing for you <laughs> that you say that, right? Right, maybe that's coming. But, but uh, no, that, that's, what they, that's what it was. From the name Joshua um, or Yeshua, how it's really pronounced, Yeshua, because the Greek and the Hebrew don't have J sounds in their language. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> We're talking about language of the scripture. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, it doesn't have a J. Like, it's where we get the name Joshua. It's from that Yeshua. That is the Hebrew version of that name. So in reality, we're the ones that have been saying Jesus wrong all this time. His name wasn't Jesus. It was in the English version, Joshua. Like that's what, that's what it was. Now, knowing that, well, and that, that, well, and I know if we were to go back and correct it, that would mess up a lot of Christmas songs. <laughs> Swapping out Jesus for Joshua. Uh, there would be some rhyming that wouldn't work. Um, also, it's probably why God hasn't answered any of your prayers because uh, you're calling his son by the wrong name. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Whew, we're in it this morning, aren't we? I'm in rare form. This is what happens when Kate's not here. <laughs> um, anyway, where are we? Okay, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 Joshua. Um, but since we've messed it up this far, uh, through all these thousands of years, let's just stick with Jesus uh, for, for our Englishness. But we have to understand, to understand the significance of the Christ, Christmas narrative, you have to keep that in mind that really Jesus was Joshua. And that's important because who was Joshua in the past to the, to the Israelites? Joshua was a military man. He was a warrior, right? He was a general. A a ancient Jewish people, um, weren't looking for another Moses to show up as Messiah. They weren't looking for another lawgiver to show up as a Messiah. They were looking for a Joshua. They were looking for a military leader, a fighter, someone that would rise up, bring the nation to rise against Rome and free them. Finally, that's what they were looking for. So, with all of that in mind, out of the first sentence of this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, here's, here's how the story goes. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, in a previous generation uh, in that culture, um, she probably would have been stoned or burned alive. Like those were some of the options back then. Wasn't society great? Uh, while we have a long way to go, we've come quite a bit away. So you don't get stoned or burned for that. So that's good. Um, but 
within that, uh, because you, that would happen outside of marriage, um, and marriage happened young then. Uh, talk about other things that are better in culture now. Uh, the engagement contracts happened when girls were about 10 or 11 years old. Marriages usually happened by 15. I think that's a little young to us. That seems really ridiculous. Uh, that was what was going on then. So she was pledged to be married to Joseph. They find out that she's pregnant. Now, one of the things that informs us as to why Joseph responded the way that he did, and, and, and don't, don't, I'm gonna say this, hold on to the being offended till I finish the thought. Uh, one of the things that saved Joseph in this situation was Mary was crazy. We know she wasn't really crazy, but to everybody looking at the situation, right? You're pregnant? Well, which one of the guys in the village is the father? Oh no, there's no man. An angel told me this was from God. Everybody looking at the situation was like, she's crazy. Like there was no man from God. Yeah, right, sure. An angel you say. Okay, sure. So what to do with this person, Joseph, Joseph is thinking, that I'm married to, who is crazy telling an angel story. And he's in this position now. He's like, yeah, oh, we are stuck. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, which they weren't married yet, but in the time when you entered the contract, that's when you took that title. Her husband was faithful to the law because the law said you can't marry her. Right? The law says you have to shame her. The law said there has to be punishment. Because her husband Joseph was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. In other words, he didn't want to drag her into the middle of town, make a scene out of the whole thing, public scorn. He, he's caught in that gap that we talk about so often here. He's caught in that gap between, um, between law and grace. The law says this is how it has to be, but grace says this somewhere in the middle. So here's what he had in mind. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now he wasn't literally the son of David. David was a long time, many generations before this. But this was the angel's way of reminding him that he was in the lineage of David, which all of the prophecies said the Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. So he says this, he says, uh, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And he told him not to be afraid to do that because he was afraid to do that, right? Exactly, right? Everyone would assume he was the father of this child, but he wasn't the father. But the angel is essentially telling him, you don't have to fear for your reputation. You don't need to worry about that because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a really important part of the narrative when it comes to the Christian story, the Christmas story. Nobody was expecting this, right? That piece there, that, that, that virgin birth. Matthew later on quotes a verse from Isaiah where it talks about a virgin will give birth to a son and you are to name him Emmanuel. And that's all great. And so you think, well, if it's in the prophecies, why weren't they expecting it? Why was this virgin thing a surprise? Um, but that Hebrew word in Isaiah, we're going back to the word, that Hebrew word in Isaiah, right? That doesn't, that, that word for virgin wasn't the, the primary use of it wasn't, has never been with a man, has never been with a woman. That, that wasn't the use of that Hebrew word. 
That, that Hebrew word in Isaiah really was used to mean young lady or young maiden. Not virgin in the sense of never having been with a man. So in Jewish culture, nobody, when it comes to the Messiah story, nobody's expecting a virgin birth. And so it was a wholly unnecessary detail to just put into a story because nobody was expecting it, right? Uh, they didn't, you know, no, no one, they didn't say, well, we know it's the Messiah because the Messiah won't have an earthly father. Like that wasn't in anybody's mind, right? In fact, it was the opposite. They expected the Messiah to come through the line of David, which would mean he would have an earthly father related to King David. They expected this Messiah to have a father. So this whole virgin birth thing, it was not critical to the storyline of God sending the Messiah to the Jewish people. In fact, in fact, it was a rather weird idea. And even more than that, it was an idea that came from Greek mythology. The Greek gods in Greek mythology were always mating with human females to have these little demigods everywhere, right? Hercules, for example, was, the, was fathered by Zeus, as well as Helen of Troy, these people that are in these things. This is where these ideas come from long before the birth of Jesus took place. So this is a Greek and pagan idea, not a Jewish idea. And so nobody in the Jewish culture was expecting it. Why would you put this into the story when A, no one was expecting it and B, the idea, the seed of that idea came from a completely different religious structure. And here's the other thing that we don't think of when it comes to this, right? Is that it actually hurts the story of Jesus by making the story more unbelievable, right? I mean, if we're being completely honest, I would buy way more into, okay, this is how the guy got here and God did something special with him, not some magical virgin birth. It hurts the story. I know people who cannot grab onto Jesus because of the insistence of Christians to hold on to the virgin birth aspect of the story. It all just seems like fairy tales, which if we step back, we'd have to admit, yeah, it kind of, it kind of does. The only reason, the only reason for the writers to put this into the story is because it's how it happened. It would have gained them nothing. In fact, it would have hurt them to put it in the story otherwise. Right? People didn't, the thing that rallied people around Jesus was not the virgin birth, right? People didn't sit around after the crucifixion when Jesus was still dead and say, yeah, but remember he was born from a virgin. So I think I'm still on, I think I'm still on team Jesus for him being the Messiah, even though he's dead now. That wouldn't have carried it. That wouldn't have carried it at all. Nope, it was the resurrection that rallied people around Jesus. And once the resurrection happened, it kind of seems to make the whole virgin birth part of the story fairly irrelevant. Because once somebody predicts death and resurrection from the dead and then does it, I don't really care how they got here. 
It was the resurrection, not the virgin birth. So the only reason to put this credibility damaging detail into this story was because this is what actually took place. The angel keeps talking. She will give birth to a son and you already give him the name Jesus or Yeshua. For us English speakers, Joshua. Now, Joseph in this dream, as he was dreaming, he was probably thinking, um, and this is in my imagination of the story because I imagine things weird sometimes. He's, he's probably thinking, is this really happening to me? I mean, is this really an angel telling me I'm going to have a son, but I'm not the father, but don't worry about that. And you're to give him the name of the long awaited Joshua, the warrior king, right? Am I to give my son the name of the long awaited Messiah? The angel keeps going. You're to give him the name Jesus because, and Joseph thought, whoa, 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 stop there, angel. You don't need to tell me because you don't need to tell. I already know. I'm to give him that name because he's the Messiah because for hundreds of years, we have been a vassal state, not under our own rule. For hundreds of years, we have been oppressed. It was the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, country after country, nation after nation has ruled over us. I know exactly, angel, why the Messiah is being born into this world. So you don't have to tell me. (laughs) The angel says, yes, I do. (laughs) Because you don't know why. Here's why. Because he will save his people. To which he's like, that's what I was saying. (laughs) I know he's gonna save his people, right? That's what Joshua does. The original Joshua led our people into Canaan and drove out the oppressors that we had on our own land. So of course I know, of course I know what he's going to do. We all know the story of Jericho. We're familiar with Joshua. He, this new Joshua, he is going to save our people from our oppressors. I know how this plays out, angel. And I can't believe my son is going to be the one. I can't believe it. It's amazing, right? You probably thought to the angel, you know, I'm glad you're here because we'd kind of given up on the whole story. We'd kind of given up hope. We thought God had forgotten about us. So at this time, Joseph, he's kind of pumped as the angel's talking. But the angel says, let, 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 let me finish. He will save his people from their sins. <laughs> now to Joshua, as he was starting to get all excited, or as to Joseph, as he was starting to get all excited and my son's the warrior king savior, you know, and the angel says, gonna save his people from their sins. It was as if there was a record scratch <laughs> and then just silence. Like, wait, What? Save them from their sins. Um, angel. <laughs> Wait, angel, angel, angel. Let, 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 angel. I know you're an angel, um, but save from sins, that's not really a felt need that we have right now. Right, right. We need saving, angel, sure. But if you were to gather all of the Jewish people together and ask them, what do we need saved from? Angel, I promise you, Sin would not be the answer. Clearly, 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 Angel, you are not, you are not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> you, need to, you need to pay attention. Here it is. Let me give it to you. First, first, we need our, our basic needs are physiological, Angel. 
That, that's our needs. You know, we need food, we need water, we need clothing. We need those things necessary to keep us alive. Then, then move on to our next, after that need, angel, our next need is safety, right? We need to be alive, then we need to be safe. Once we're safe, angel, we need a sense of community, a sense of belonging, right? And once we have those, we get a sense of self-esteem and ultimately self-actualization. Now, angel, look, do you see sin in that list anywhere? No, no. Angel, we need to be saved from some things, that's for sure. But sin is not on the list. Besides, 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 angel, in case you forgot, which I'm a little disappointed in you in forgetting this, we have a complicated temple system to take care of our sins. So this isn't really necessary. We can go to the temple and be saved from our sins. But, but angel, I'll tell you who does need saved. I'll tell you who needs saving angel, Rome, Rome. Now talk about somebody full of sin. Rome needs, they've perpetrated more sins than we can begin to account here, angel. And, and not only does Rome need saved, but we need saved from Rome, right? We need a savior with a sword. But listen, he didn't really say all that. (laughs) That's just my imagination in the story. But I imagine that's a lot of what he was feeling. A lot of those ideas. Uh, You know why he didn't say any of that stuff? Not because he wasn't thinking it. I'm sure he was thinking some of that stuff. But he said it because he didn't say anything because when an angel of the Lord shows up and talks out loud to you, you don't talk back. (laughs) You, you just would not be able to get the words out of your mouth. And when Joseph woke up, there was no doubt in his mind what his course of action should be. No doubt. And actually, this is one of the reasons that God doesn't show up to us uh, tangibly and remains a bit of a mystery in the way that God communicates with us. And actually, this is one of the reasons. Here it is, because if God... If God were to show up in all of his glory and speak and tell us exactly what we needed to do, you would lose your free will. You would not anywhere inside of you be able to muster anything that went against what God told you to do if he showed up in person and said it to you. You would be so overwhelmed with the glory and the power of God that you would have no choice in you as to what you would do. So verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now here's what I wanna say to to wrap up this Christmas series we've been doing and to wrap up this, this year. Do you know why So many of us, when we read over the Christmas story, we're not moved at all when we hear God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Like, have you ever noticed you can kind of just read that and it's kind of just words, kind of just, okay, that's part of the story. The reason we don't get overwhelmed with excitement or gratitude is this, is that when we hear that he will save his people from their sins, right, 
When, when, when that, that isn't what we really hear when we read that sentence. Here's what we really hear. We really hear he will forgive his people of their sins. That's how our minds translate that. Saved from sins is forgiveness of sins, right? That's how that works. And if we're not careful, we will reduce Christmas just to forgiveness, right? And perhaps your entire Christian experience, depending on how you grew up or when you uh, became a Christian, um, has been, well, nobody's perfect, but God forgives, right? I mess up, God forgives. I mess up, God forgives. It's kind of the cycle. That's how we operate within our Christian experience. But the message of Christmas is so much more than just that. But if you've reduced Christmas to forgiveness, you have missed the primary message of Christmas. Because Jesus did not come to deliver us from the penalty or the consequence of our sin, which is what so many of us relate forgiveness of sin to. In fact, in most cases, we are not delivered from the consequences of our sins. We're not. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin over our life. That is a completely different idea than just being forgiven for sins. Jesus came in the spirit of Joshua, that warrior king, the warrior to free us from the dominion of, the power of, the kingdom of, our slavery to, the nation of sin. That is what Jesus came to do. We've been promised in Jesus deliverance from the power of sin over our lives. And that is so much more than just forgiveness of sins that we commit. Those are two radically different ideas. And Jesus alluded to this throughout his entire ministry on earth, right? A group of people caught a woman committing adultery, drug her up, the large set of stairs leading up to the temple, the last place that she wanted to be, just literally feet from the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies with the original law on the stone tablets, 25 feet from where they were sacrificing animals to cover people's sins. And they throw her down in front of Jesus and they say, hey, the law says we're to stone her. What do you say? What do you say? So dramatic they were. And Jesus called their bluff. He knew they weren't gonna stone her, right? You didn't stone people in the temple courtyards. That just was a no-no. And they had no legal right because they were under Rome to carry out the stoning penalty that the Jewish law called for. So he knew stoning wasn't really in the future. So he says, fine, take her, stone her, calling their bluff. But one caveat, only the person who has never sinned can cast the first stone. They got quiet. What could they do? They all eventually left. He kneels down, says two things to her. One of the things are extremely famous. The other, not so much. The first one is he asks her, where are your accusers? Where'd they all go? 
They've left. And just in the way that they now do not condemn you, neither do I condemn you. In other words, I have the power. We don't need to go over here 25 feet this way and sacrifice an animal for your forgiveness. I have the power to forgive you. Then he says, then he says, and this one doesn't get as much attention in a lot of circles. Then he says, go and leave your life of sin. To which we, if we're really honest with ourselves, we should ask ourselves, is that even possible? Is it possible to go and leave a life of sin? Can we leave the nation of sin? Can we leave the captivity of sin? Can we actually say no to sin? Is it possible to sin no more? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees another time, separate from that. And he says this, he says, uh, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You've heard this before. Now, most of you, when you've heard that, you've probably heard it presented in a sermon that the thief that he's talking about is the devil, right? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's how I've heard it preached. I, I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I don't. I think that he was making a general comment on what thieves do because he was setting up a contrast. He contrasts what everybody knows about thieves that they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He contrasts that with himself. And he says, but I, I have come that they might have life and not just have life, but have it to the fullest. Now having life and having it to the fullest, it sounds a lot bigger than just forgiveness of sin, doesn't it? Seems like there's a whole lot more involved there. Because forgiveness, forgiveness just gets us back to even. Forgives us, forgiveness just brings us from a negative in our ledger back up to zero. That's what forgiveness is, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've come for a completely different purpose. I haven't come just to get you back to zero with forgiveness of sins. No, no, no. I have come to free you from sin completely different. They were correct to name him Joshua because it says, I've come to deliver you from something, not just forgive you for something. Later on, Paul, as he's writing in in his letters, uh, he he puts some theological language around this idea. he, this idea of why Jesus came, he puts this in the, the letter to the Christians in Rome, um, which was a bad place to be living at the time. Nero was, the, was the, uh, the emperor there at the time and he was famous for the way that he tortured and killed Christians. But here's what Paul writes about the purpose of Jesus coming. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, in other words, do not allow sin to remain your king. Do not allow it to remain your master. Do not allow sin to control you. <laughs> Some people might say, wait, we have a choice? 
No choice. Yeah, you do have a choice. That is what Jesus came for, to deliver people from, not forgive people for sin. He, he keeps going, Paul does. He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, which that little phrase, but rather, that means there's a choice. <laughs> there's an option. There's another route that you can take. If your religious experience has been sin, get forgiveness, sin, get forgiveness, sin, get forgiveness, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you've missed the reason that Jesus came. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to give life to the fullest. What is he talking about? This isn't just being forgiven for sin, but being set free for sin shall no longer be your master. Now, th this is why this is so helpful. Because Paul sort of per personifies sin as a character in this story, the way that he's writing it, right? It it it's when you have those moments of, um, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do what's wrong, right? Anybody have those moments? <laughs> yeah, those moments of I shouldn't, but I do, right? I should, but I don't. Let's, let's label that as sin because there can be so many things that talk about what sin is. That, that's for the point of our conversation today and the impact of what this is about. I think that is a pretty good way to describe sin. I know what I should do and I don't. I know what is wrong and I still do it. I know there's things that I should avoid that I turn towards. This is what he's talking about. That control, that power that causes us to make decisions we know we shouldn't make. Right, then, then, then he summarizes this amazing passage with this verse. And most of us have heard this. For the wages, which is the outcome, the result, the consequences of sin is death. Now, here, here's what we all know. We all know sin kills things. It always kills something, to which some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know, I mean, I've done a lot of sin and I'm still here, <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, you are. But there's been a lot of things die in life, right? I mean, some of you had a marriage. Some of you have had your finances. Some of you have had uh, relationships with families and friends. Some of you have had careers that have all died a death because of sin, either yours or someone else's that was involved in the process, Right? Something always dies when sin is present. But here, here, here's the part that I don't want you to miss in all of this is that, listen, even forgiven sin kills. Now that's a hard one for us to wrap our mind around sometimes. Because we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought God forgave me of this. Why is this relationship? Why is my career, why, 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 is, why is my interactions with my children, why, why is this still dying? 
I thought I was forgiven. You are forgiven. But forgiven sin still kills, right? Our prisons are full of men and women who have asked God to forgive them. And he has, he has forgiven them, but they will still spend a large portion of the rest of their life in prison because even forgiven sins kill. But Jesus, listen, this is why this is such a big deal. Jesus came into the world at Christmas to do more than just forgive. He came to save us from the power and the captivity of sin. So he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, many of us think that that, that eternal life, Jesus, that's, yeah, that just means we go to heaven when we die. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Because when you accept Christ, when you accept Christ, you receive right now in the moment, right? Not when you die, not in some far off place, not in some afterlife. You receive in the moment, the gift of God's eternal life, a life free from the power of the bondage of sin. It is a life that frees you from sin's control. And that, that is the gift of Christmas. That is why Christmas is so much bigger than just the forgiveness of sins, right? So this, this is why the Christmas story, why I've been talking over the last few weeks, this is why the Christmas story is so much more than just a chapter and a half in the New Testament that we read every Christmas season, right? Because it began thousands of years before Matthew, <laughs> And Jesus came into the world at the time when the world needed it the most, when hope had been all but lost. And it happened because it was the only way that God could demonstrate the magnitude of his love for us in such a way that everyone would hear it. It broke the power of sin over our lives because Jesus came, sin is no longer our master. It's a standing invitation into relationship with him. So that's why, and Dee's been waiting for this all year, <laughs> the baby Jesus in the manger. That is why the story of a baby showing up in the armpit of the Roman Empire to a couple nobody parents is so much bigger than just the story of a baby showing up. Christmas is far more than Christmas. It is freedom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I at times in going through this material, Father, I found myself overwhelmed. And just the magnitude of this story from thousands of years before Jesus showed up 
to thousands of years after where we're sitting here talking about the name of a person that we in all reality should never know, but because it wasn't just a person. That the promises that were made and began all the way back with Abraham, that even though it seemed you had forgotten about those promises, that you had abandoned the nation of Israel through generation after generation after generation, through times when it seemed the thread of the story was lost only to be picked up hundreds of years later because you never lost the thread. You knew you were waiting for the right time to bring Christ into the world. And what that means, so much more than just the forgiveness of sin, but being freed from the power of sin. Lord, we thank you. So as we enter into this Christmas week and finish out the holiday season, Lord, I pray that you impress it upon us what you really did by sending your son to this earth. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christmas. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for making it through a year of flannel graph, Sunday school stories and tapestry. Have a wonderful Christmas. We will see you in the new year.